So it's great to have you uh, with us uh, today for the next in our series, Life with Jesus, Loving Our Brother. Uh, when I was 16, uh, my dad's uncle Tom came to stay with us and uh, on my birthday he gave me a gold coin. I wanted to check whether it was gold and there are certain tests that you can do to find out whether a coin is gold. You can weigh it because gold is heavier than other metals. Uh, you can uh, do what they call the ping test. You can hit it with another piece uh, of metal uh, and it, uh, gold makes a particular sound. Uh, you can use uh, the magnetic magnetism test which uh, basically gold uh, isn't magnetic. Or you can do as they did in olden days which uh, they uh, used to bite a gold coin to make sure it was gold because gold was softer. Maybe that's why uh, they didn't have so many teeth back in the day. Well, there's a reason I'm sharing that with you because gold is so valuable that we need to test it so that we make sure that we have the real thing. Tolkien wrote, all that glitters is not gold. And the first apostles wrote to the churches that they uh, were connected with because they wanted to know that and ensure that the believers in those churches, that their faith was genuine and was of greater worth than gold. That's what 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 7 says. This is exactly what John is doing in this letter. Heretical teachers uh, uh, were coming into the church and propagating their teaching and it was causing uh, believers to be uncertain of what they believed. It was affecting uh, what, how believers behaved. And John is writing because he wants to make sure that their faith remains genuine. You see, genuine faith was becoming hard to spot. Over recent weeks, uh, we've seen that John is blunt and to the point. Uh, in his letter, uh, in his gospel, uh, in the first chapter, John says that God is light. And we read later in the New Testament that God dwells in unapproachable light. There's no darkness in him. Our rebellion against God, what the Bible calls our sin, has caused us uh, to plunge this world into darkness, far from God. God's response to this was to send his son Jesus into this dark world to bring us back to himself, to bring us back into his marvellous light. John says, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus has come to rescue us. He wants us to walk in the light as he is in the light. To not walk as Jesus uh, did means that we're walking in darkness and it brings into question our relationship with God. John gives us tests to prove that our faith is genuine and it's of greater worth than gold. John's writing style is unique. He doesn't write uh, in uh, a way that uh, Paul does, where Paul writes, uh, uh, makes points and comes to a conclusion. 
John writes in a much more circular style. He makes statements and then he revisits them later as though to re-emphasize the point. And so uh, John's letter, 1 John, is, uh, is like that. And so he says things and then from time to time he goes back to them and revisits them. And that's what we're going to uh, look at this morning. We're going to pick up one of the keys that John uh, gives for showing that our faith is genuine. Loving our brother. Let me read this from 1 John chapter 2 verses 9 to 11. The one who says that he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We will all have realised in this season that the Covid rules across the UK are different. So in England, we have the rule of six, six people able to gather in one house. In Wales, it's not like that. Uh, uh, they have the extended household rule. And so uh, the rule in England is distinct from the rule in Wales. And John is making the point that the rule in the kingdom of God is very distinct from the, uh, the rule in the world. And John is drawing our attention to one rule in particular, the rule of love. God is love. And love is God's family trait. Loving all believers is not an option for us. If we don't love those who also love God, John says by default we hate them. It's strong language. And sadly, John is raising something that we all stumble over. We don't have to have been around churches for a long time to realise that this is an issue for us. We struggle with loving one another. So why does John focus on the relationship between believers? Surely God loves everyone. When Jesus walked the earth, don't we read that he loved everyone who came across his path? Absolutely. Well, John is making this point because he knows that if we can't love other believers who, like us, have received the grace of God, who have experienced God's great mercy, undeserved mercy towards us, if we can't love them, how can we possibly love anybody else? John says we should love every believer, whatever their background, whatever their ethnicity, wherever they're from. That's why racism has no place in the church. We don't have to agree with what each other says. We don't have to agree with uh, everyone on every issue. But we do have to love one another unconditionally. Paul says this, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Have we given up on people? 
Maybe there are people that we avoid speaking to. Are there people who we just don't seem to be able to uh, say anything kind about? You see, John is saying indifference towards other believers is not acceptable. There is no twilight zone in true Christian living. John says if we genuinely love fellow believers, nothing should cause us to stumble or offend us. All too easily, we do get offended. Here are a few examples. People not contacting us during lockdown. A broken promise. Someone responding to us with a grumpy email. The Greek word for stumble is the word scandalon, and from it we get our word scandalised. It comes from a, a, a typical uh, uh, a situation in life at the time. And so someone who was trying to trap a bird, they would set a bird trap and they would have a net and the net, they would lift the net up with a stick and at the bottom of the stick, they would put a piece of bait, a morsel, something that would uh, the bird would want to eat. The bird would go into the net and as the bird pecked away at the uh, bait at the bottom of the stick, the net would fall on them. The stick was called a scandalon the bird would be trapped, would be caught. All too often when we uh, get offended and offended by others, we get caught in the devil's trap. We get scandalised. Do we keep detailed records of wrongs that others have done to us? Are we caught in a trap? Do we find ourselves replaying things that people have said to us again and again? Do we find ourselves being really critical of certain people or getting angry with them uh, without seeming due course, unable to forgive them? Maybe we find ourselves spiraling spiraling into negative thoughts. If we do, if we have been caught in a trap, Jesus provides the way out. If we confess our sin, John says, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Jesus, as we heard the other, other week, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He speaks to the Father in our defence. A relationship with a loving God causes us to become more loving. And John then gives us an example. He says we are to love like Jesus. Let me read from 1 John chapter 3 verses 11 to 16. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers 
and sisters. This message of loving one another hasn't changed since the beginning. And so John gives us two examples. And the first one is uh, from the book of Genesis, right at the very beginning. And just after God had created uh, this beautiful world that we live in and sin had entered through Adam and Eve's rebellion, we read of Adam's son, Cain, uh, killing his brother, Abel. Abel had done nothing wrong. I don't uh, intend to spend a long time unpacking the story, but there are a couple of things that I think it would be helpful for us to understand if we're going to catch what John is saying to us uh, in his letter. The first thing is this. The darkness was in Cain. Abel was innocent. Cain was scandalised. He found that his brother was accepted by God and he wasn't. He hadn't obeyed God. He hadn't listened to what God said. But Cain got caught in a trap. Jealousy filled his heart and jealousy led to hatred and hatred led to murderous thoughts. And in this case, it led to murderous actions. It's still the same today. Jealousy leads to hatred and murderous thoughts. And Jesus says that murderous thoughts are just as bad as the actions themselves. We live in a world characterised by this sort of behaviour. And so it's why John says we shouldn't be surprised that the world doesn't have any time for us as believers. The world hates us for being followers of him. We are not to follow Cain's example. John says we are to follow Jesus' example. Jesus was selfless. He willingly put others before himself, even to the point of laying down his life for them. He was giving us an example to follow. Jesus died on our behalf for us. We did nothing to deserve it and he wants us to live in a way that reflects him. If we have fellowship with God, everything changes. We become Christians. In the book of Acts, it says Christians, Christ-like ones, were first called that in Antioch. It was because their behaviour imitated Jesus. God wants us to become more and more like his son. We love as he loved. Jesus loved the ostracised. He loved those who were cast aside by society on the fringe of society. He loved those who had nothing. He loved those who no one else would go near. He uh, uh, touched the leper. He crossed over the road for tax collectors and sinners. Jesus showed love to all that he met. He loved those who were struggling emotionally. He loved those who were struggling mentally. He loved the poor. He loved the wealthy. He loved the overlooked. He loved the, uh, uh, the great. Over the season, I've seen Jesus's kind of love demonstrated uh, through the church during lockdown. Selfless love. People spending themselves for others without thought or hope of return and it's a beautiful thing. How do we become more and more like this? 
Well, first of all, we need to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. We can't love others as ourselves if we don't love God like that. We need to be those who every day fix our eyes on Jesus. When we get up in the morning, we open our Bible and we fix our eyes on him who gave himself for us. And as we do that, it provokes us to love. We need to be those who pray, asking the Holy Spirit to help us live this life day by day. You see, loving like Jesus is a love that shows. Let me read from 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 to 20. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in speech, but in action and in truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. You see, the genuineness of our love is seen in our behaviour. Words are easy to say. It is easy to say the words, I love you. But actually, if we say we love someone, it will be backed up by our behaviour. Actions speak louder than words. Claudia and I were talking about this very issue, this practical demonstration of the love of God earlier. So uh, you work in a very high powered job. Uh, I know that's not always been the case. So uh, can you tell us uh, some of what happened? Yeah, so Steve, after I qualified as an accountant, I went into a period of uh, a season of unpaid um, employment, really. Um, um, so what I ended up doing is work for the church voluntarily as, you know, doing their finances and as a centre manager. But uh, when that period started, initially I was a bit petrified because I thought, you know, God, what are you doing? And God showed me that he can be trusted by the way he provided through others in the church. Uh, you know, um, so I just learned that God is there for, for, for us, even in difficult times. So, Claudia, what has been your experience of God's love being practically shown in this church? Well, Steve, I've got more, many examples, but they, I, I'll just give three examples. So three years ago, I moved from a flat in the central centre of Winchester and uh, Clive and Anne offered me a room at their home. Uh, when I arrived at their home, uh, Anne had a set of keys with my name on me. Uh, and also what she had done is made so much room in the garage for me to put my furniture. So I just felt so welcomed even from the start. But also Anne and Clive had to go through a, peri a prolonged period of living with me uh, when uh, I was trying to buy a property and there were so many delays in getting into the property. So uh, you said you had three examples. Uh, what were, what's the second one? Oh yeah, so Sa Simon and Lavinia were also exceptional during that period. Uh, well, I'll just give one example. Uh, Simon offered to say, you know, before I moved in everything, after I got the keys for the um, flat, he wanted to come round and just look at all the, the building works to see if there were any uh, things that needed to, so sort it, to be sorted. So he noted everything that needed to be, you know, attention. 
um, and they also brought me dinner. Wow. And you said there was one last one. Oh, yeah. So because I was moving into a new flat, um, you know, they, they had I had no kitchen rails. And I remember and I had also furniture that needed to be assembled. And just being the only one person there, you know, you can't do all that on your own. Plus, I'd never held a drill in my life. So um, I would say, I say to God, look, God, I know you love me so much and, you know, you're with me. But right now I need physical hands that will help me put these uh, curtain rails up. And John and Nancy were the people that, the physical hands that God provided for me during that time. Well, Claudia, I'm sure you're really delighted I wasn't one of the people who helped you with <laughs> well, DIY. Well, I've heard you preach about your <laughs> DIY. <laughs> so, so, Claudia, why are you passionate about seeing God's love practically outworked in the church? Well, Steve, how can I not be passionate when I've been a recipient of, you know, this unconditional love uh, so many times? Um you know, what I've noted from this is that uh, it just builds the person, the recipient up uh, and it pushes them towards God. And also others celebrate when they see, you know, what God has done in, in one's life. Plus, it's also biblical because James says faith without works is dead. And also, you know, one of our values here at Hope Church is to be a grace-filled community. And I feel that that unconditional love um, is will just make us that grace-filled church. Claudia experienced the love of God in very practical ways. It's beautiful, wasn't it? As John is writing this letter, no doubt he is remembering at this point Jesus' story that he told of a man who is on a road uh, to Jericho. And uh, as he's traveling along the road, this man is uh, attacked by bandits and he's left for dead, stripped and left for dead. And as he's lying there on the road, Jesus tells the story of people passing by. Two religious people uh, walk by. They see the man, but they walk by on the other side of the road and they don't go and help him. And then Jesus talks about uh, a Samaritan despised by Jews who sees the man, comes along, sees the man, but he crosses over the other side of the road. He bandages the man and at his own personal cost, he makes sure that the man is cared for and looked after uh, until he recovers. John will be thinking about this story because as he, uh, we read through this letter, we see some telltale signs, some similar things that Jesus talked about when he talked about what we know as the story of the Good Samaritan. The first thing we uh, see John saying is that we need to see the need. Do we? Do we see the need? Are we oblivious to people's needs around us? Are we wrapped up in our own circumstances and our own busyness such that we pass by on the other side? We're too busy to stop. We need to be those who ask God to open our eyes to what's happening in people's lives around us. The second point that John makes is this. We need to know how much we've been blessed by God. We need to know that we have resources at our disposal to help others, so that God has resourced us, blessed us, so that we can help other people. You see, John writes to people who have, he says, this world's goods. Each one of us are blessed. 
We live in a part of the world where we are so blessed in terms of the places we live, the clothes that we have and to wear and the food that we have to eat. We need to focus on what God has blessed us with rather than the things that we don't have. And the final thing is having compassion, not pity. Compassion is pity with action. We need to be those who are stirred to action by what we say. That's how God's love is practically shown among us. As we see people's needs, as we uh, respond to that out of what God has done for us, and we reach out in compassion to help them. You see, giving to charity is no substitute. God isn't impressed if we can't practically show our love to those uh, who love him and those who are in need. We should do both. John Stott says this. It's easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved or otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. Let's not be like that. God's love is both broad and specific. God loves people and he loves us. That's amazing. And if God's love dwells in our hearts, if we know how much God loves us, then we will love other people just like that. We start with the family of God, but we don't stop there. That's just the beginning. As we draw to a conclusion today, John knows that our hearts easily get condemned. We don't do enough. Oh, I feel guilty, Steve. I, I don't feel that I do enough. I, 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 I should be doing more. Oh, I feel terrible. Oh, I... I God doesn't want us to feel like that today. John says that love demonstrated for others should bring peace to our hearts when we have doubts. Why is that? Well, Phil Moore explains like this. We might have expected the apostle to say, love others like Jesus so they'll respond to the gospel. Instead, he tells us to love others like Jesus so we will know for sure we have responded to the gospel ourselves. Sacrificial love never leaves us in the red. It brings with it its own reward. Maybe this morning you are watching and you have never given your life to Jesus. Let me tell you, why don't you come to him today? Give him your life. Bow the knee to Jesus and experience God's great love for you. God is your father in heaven and he wants you to know it and experience it. And you can only do that by putting your trust in Jesus. Give your life to him today. Respond to him. Maybe uh, we're struggling with loving those around us. Maybe we are uh, like those who've been scandalized, caught in a trap. Maybe you know that's your battleground. Well, we have people who are ready and are willing to pray with you in our Zoom prayer meeting. And you can access that in a moment. 
Why don't you let people stand with you and pray with you as you bring yourself to God and say, God, I have been caught. Please set me free. And let me tell you, Jesus sets you free. If you know the Son, the Son sets you free and you'll be free indeed. Love like Jesus. It's a love that sees the need. It's a love that knows how much we've been blessed by God. And it's a love that is compassionate, takes action, doesn't sit back and do nothing. Clodia's challenge to us all is let's be a people who demonstrate the grace of God to each other and the world around. <laughs>